0: They were, we're starting a series that's going to go through Second Peter, and I'm, I'm calling it Fruitful Faith, but I'm, I'm actually going to segue right out of one of our songs, which says, you know, give me oil, my lamp, keep me burning, 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 and part of this, this these verses today address this question, okay, well, what, spiritually, what keeps me burning, <laughs> Right? You don't make that oil that keeps you born. God's got to give you that oil, but it also, it burns, it, sh- it expresses, it shows itself in your life. And uh, I got the, this idea to call this fruitful faith from Second Peter 1, verse 8, which says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful, The knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ So Peter he's telling believers here give a list of of qualities of traits that hey these are in your life the the natural oil of Christ that that is naturally fruitful because it's Christ is is gonna be fruitful in your life but if it's not you are you are stinting you're you're cutting off the natural fruitfulness of Christ in your life And um, these qualities start in verse 5 says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And It keeps going on here, and, uh, but I said this is a series, so I'm not going to go through all of those qualities today. That would be too much. Uh, instead of today, I'm just going to start with faith, which is where the starting point of it all, what is our faith and who is the object of our faith and what, are the, what good things does he bring to us? That's what verses one through four tell us about today. So this is our verses, verses one through four. And uh, so before we begin with those, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for sending it to us. Thank you for sending your son to be our savior and to bring us all your goodness to us. And pray that we would have open hearts and open minds and ears to hear and eyes to see all that you have for us in Christ, uh, for this life and for all eternity. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start with verse 1, 2 Peter, verse 1. And uh, if you don't mind, I'm actually going to be down here for most of this because I plan to be out there. We're pacing and walking around, so I'm, act, I'm going to be down here. That's what I planned for. So, um, so Simeon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter begins by what he shares in common with all believers. He's writing to all believers, and he begins with what we share in common. First, he introduces himself. He is a servant a servant. Jesus Christ. So he, he is, he submitted every area of his life, all of his will to Jesus' will. He's a servant of Jesus' will. He's an apostle. We can put a big A apostle there. He's an eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And he was personally charged by Christ. Share his testimony and spread the gospel of christ so he is a servant of his will and a messenger an eyewitness and a messenger and he's writing to christians that his description here it defines all christians those who are truly christians because god has made them so those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours so he says believer your your faith this is a precious thing. Just think, think about this for a second here. Saying, you have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. And something here that he's, he's writing to, to Gentile believers, and so he's saying, hey, all you Gentile believers who, who never heard of the gospel before, never heard of God before, never heard of Moses before, you have a faith equal to the Apostle Peter and every Jewish believer, which is certainly true. But it's true today too. It's true whether you grew up in the church, or you, you know, or you came to the church late in life, or if you're hearing it for the first time right now. your the faith in Christ, it's equal to the faith of the apostle Peter, not because of its strength or of its quality, because of the object of that faith. Who is the faith in? It's in Jesus Christ. And then he says, "This you obtained it by the righteousness." our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you, didn't, you weren't looking for it. You didn't grab it. You didn't take hold of it. You didn't win it. You're not in the faith. You're not a believer by your own doing. It, you, the righteousness of Christ did this for you. And this was done for you at the cross when the righteousness of Christ was put on the cross in your place for you and, and then imputed to you. So on the cross... The righteousness of Christ is offered to you because your righteousness is not good enough on your own. Your your righteousness is corrupted. It's not enough by itself. So Christ offered his righteousness in your place. So it's Christ's righteousness that obtained this faith for you, this faith in which you stand. Then verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Everyone wants uh, some more grace and peace in their life, right? <laughs> we would like to see grace and peace in our life multiply and, and, and have more of it in our life, right? And grace here. I mean, in context, of course, you know, we're talking about the friendship of God, His favor towards you. He is favorable towards you, He is gracious towards you, He's sending gifts to you, and these are in Jesus Christ. We would we all want to have friendship, we want to have favor, we want things to be favorable for us. And then peace. And this peace that the Bible talks about is twofold. There's objective peace, like a peace treaty. Because the whole the lost world, the, the spiritual sinful world that has declared war against God is not at peace with God. It's at war with him, opposes him, and that's and that until Christ rescues us, that's where we all start. In a spiritual, sinful world that's declared war against God. What Christ has done is he has signed a peace treaty between God and man, signed in his blood at the cross. And God has accepted that. And when Christ offers it to you, and you receive him by faith, that your name is there on that peace treaty. It's objective peace. Signed between you and God there's objective peace there's also the peace of Shalom that's the Hebrew word for peace and that means a condition of peace that leads to thriving it doesn't mean the absence of conflict it means the conditions are ideal for your thriving the interesting thing here is the peace that God offers you is peace with him Peace that peace and p- the peace of shalom. It does not mean absence of conflict. When he says your peace will be multiplied, it doesn't mean you're going to have less conflict in your life. In fact, when you have signed a peace treaty with God, now you're with him and, and one of his people. That means the sinful spiritual world, which has declared war against God, is also going to declare war against you. So when you have peace with God, you're going to find you have new conflicts that you didn't have before. <laughs> Because the world's now going after you because you're with God. But the world cannot give you shalom. If you think you can make make peace with the world so so I don't have conflict with the world anymore, that's not going to give you the shalom that leads to thriving. The world, the sinful spiritual world, cannot offer you shalom. Only God can offer you shalom, the thriving that leads to true life and eternal life. But what Peter talks about here, he wants grace and peace to be multiplied in your life. And he says, this grace and peace in your life, this is multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. And the idea of knowledge here, it doesn't mean abstract facts. You know, you can know abstract facts that are true. So for instance, if I researched uh, horses, and I did, looked in the encyclopedia, and I, and I could, I memorized, I could tell you all the anatomy of the horse, and I could tell you about the saddle and the bridle, and jockeys and good riding strategies. That all remains abstract. It might be true, but it's abstract until I <laughs> go encounter a horse. <laughs> until I go walk up and touch a horse, and befriend that horse, and get on its back and ride it. Now, now I know about horses. Now, now I'm. Because uh, that is first, that, that's direct contact knowledge. That's the knowledge that this is talking about here. Not abstract facts, but direct contact knowledge. It says, your, your peace and grace is multiplied in that direct contact knowledge of God. It said that, that direct contact knowledge of God is through Jesus our Lord. And that. Jesus said that himself to his disciples. You know, in John 14, when his disciples were asking him, like, Jesus, we, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you, have, if you had seen me, you, you had seen the Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. But this is a consistent message of Jesus through the gospel. You know He's bringing the direct contact knowledge of God through Jesus. Okay, that's, that's great for Peter and them back then, but I can't go shake Jesus' physical hand today. How do I have direct contact with Jesus 2,000 years later? Well, the Gospel of John also tells us in chapter one, in the beginning was the word word was with god and the word was god verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as the only begotten son of the father so jesus is the word of god incarnate the word of god made flesh so how do we meet god direct contact with god today it's through his word the word of god You are brought to God, and He is brought to you. When the Word of God is proclaimed, and the knowledge of God is declared to you, God's Holy Spirit has a marvelous power to convict your heart and show you the truth that you know, no, I have met God here. This is the truth of God. I have encountered Him here. And His Holy Spirit can do this in your heart so that you know beyond all doubt you have encountered God, and things cannot be the same ever again for you. Because you have encountered, you have now have direct encounter with God. So, so your peace and grace is multiplied in the knowledge of God. So he said, "You know, how do we keep that oil in my lamp? Keep me burning, burning, burning." So, how do we grow in the grace and the knowledge of God in this life, so that our our peace and grace are multiplied? Around us, it's in that knowledge of God. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So we see the same pattern here. God's riches given to you through the knowledge of God in Christ Jesus. Same pattern, but he's more specific about these, the riches and goodness of God that are yours here. And so it begins with His divine power. So the power of God, that means the unstoppable, can't be obstructed, can't, nothing can stop it, nothing can thwart it, the divine power of God for you. said so it's granted to you. And a grant, we probably are familiar with the word grant, but maybe we don't think about it a whole lot. Um, but we, we think of, you know, there's land grants, and there's financial grants. And a grant is, a legal gift, right? It's not, it's not payment for services rendered, it's a legal gift. These particular people are granted this land, or this money. And usually there's a clause in there that says that money's to be used for a purpose. Right? So a, if a grant is, a financial grant is given to a school, it's to be used for education. And then if they misuse it for you know, illegal things, then not going to get that grant in the future, future, and they might get sued to get that money back. Right? So grants gives you legal access to this gift of, the, of resources, with the clause that, hey, it's supposed to be used for a purpose. It's saying God's divine power has granted to you so legal access to resources, all things that pertain to life and godliness. And as I've been thinking about this verse here, it is such an encouragement for each of us, when we feel inadequate, we feel like I am just not enough. I'm facing this challenge in parenting or in relationships or in business or in my workplace or in my community or whatever it may be. I'm feeling inadequate. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. For all the ways we feel inadequate, God says, I mean, this is just such a broad verse here. He says, all things... And it says that pertain to life and godliness. Pertain, so we could say everything necessary or helpful to your life. So your life, your, your life, your development, your growth, your maturity, everything necessary or helpful for that. And then he says also to your godliness. Godliness here, I think verse, first Timothy, from 1 Timothy 4 where it says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way because it holds promise for this life and the life to come. So bodily training, yeah, it holds, it is of some value. So I could, you know, I could speak to Hunter and say, hey, football training, that, yeah, that is of some value, absolutely. Or Ben, boxing, that is of some value. I heard you won your match last night, so... Yeah. So that, that is of, of some value, absolutely. And the rest of us here, whether it's, it's walking or water aerobics or Zumba or whatever we're doing, you know, it is of some value. But godliness though, is the value of every way in every activity of life. Godliness is of some value because the attitude in which you do things, the integrity in which you do it, the motivation you have to do it, all that comes out of, of godliness. And that's a value in everything and anything you could do. So Godliness has a value of every way. And here God is saying, I, I have granted you all things that are helpful or need to, needful for your life or godliness. Now this is, uh, should not be misused. This is not a name it and claim it verse no, God's granted me everything I need, so I want that luxury jet, and I need that for my life. Or I need that sixty thousand dollar pickup truck because I need that for my life. <laughs> that, uh, that for my life. Um, you know, the, the luxuries and necessities. We should not mistake these. And granting also does not mean that it's immediately in front of you, right? Granting is legal access. It doesn't mean the treasure hoard is dumped on you. It doesn't mean that when you need wisdom, we're just going to take the thumb drive of wisdom and immediately download all of it into your head. It, means it is, you have legal right to it, legal access to it. But God still wants you to, he calls on you to ask for what you need each day. Here, says his, his wonderful promise that he, it's yours, he will give it. That's consistent with all the scripture where he says, whoever lacks wisdom, let, let him ask to God who gives lavishly and freely. Um, his many, many promises in that regard. But God likes us to ask him. And this is probably because if we had it all at once, we would think that we had done it ourselves and we'd forget that it had all come from him. And so he keeps, so he, so there is some seeking and some pursuing on our part of these things. But he's saying here, no, whatever you lack, it's there, you have a right and access to it, ask for it, seek it out. And says, this is granted to you through the knowledge of him who called you. Again, through the knowledge I'm not gonna you, you got it last time <laughs> and he calls you by his glory and excellence so like meaning he called to you so you didn't go after him you, you were you weren't seeking God and then you found him it's no God was seeking you you were up doing your own thing in life and now whether you came to Christ as an infant or you convert to Christ later in life it's God's doing God called. You and said, "Hey, I want you to be my child. I want you in my kingdom." God called you, and he called you by His glory and excellence. So He appealed to you, how good He is. Look at God's perfect holiness, His perfect wisdom, His perfect power, His perfect love, His perfect justice, and on and on. How God, good He is, and even and. Then we see how short we follow it, fall from that, and how good is God that He provides a way to cleanse us of our sin and bring us and make us holy as He is holy through His Son. So He is He appeals to us by how good He is, how merciful and kind and loving He is. Verse four By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So he is, by his divine goodness, his, his glory and excellence, so out of the goodness of his heart, he's granted us his great and precious promises. So precious means very dear, but valuable to your heart, and also great, they're huge in magnitude. And we think of all the promises of God here that, that, that this could refer to. We think of the New Testament, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And His promise too, if we repent and baptize in His name, He will receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we look at the Old Testament promises where he says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. He has become my salvation. And because the promise that his mercies are new every morning, that his steadfast love is with you forever. And because the Lord is at your right hand, you will not be shaken could go on and on, but I want to go with his promise here. He says, you through them, through his glory and goodness and his great promises, you have become partakers of the divine nature. And partaker here means to to share in, to be part of, and and I, I, I find it helpful here to think of this in the idea of environment. Our natural environment, humans, right, is to be on dry land, breathe air. A fish's environment is to be in the water, process water through the gills. We have different natural environments. Now, if I go and dive into the water, I'm partaking in the water, but only temporarily. I'm diving in. I've got to come back out. I can't live there. It's not my natural environment. When we, God says he, when we become partakers of the divine nature, he's talking about our spiritual natural environment he changes our natural our spiritual natural environment so that it becomes our, our natural spiritual environment is the holiness and righteousness and eternal life of God it makes us partakers in the divine nature so that is our natural spiritual environment or to compare it back to the, the man and the fish he changes us so that we're not a Man on land, but we're a Atlantean man who, who you know, human being who now under the sea is your is your natural environment. So that's we through his promises through Christ through his Spirit indwelling you he changes your spirit so that your your spirit's natural life natural environment is God's goodness and righteousness and holiness and eternal life, and he says by making you this way, by rescuing this way, you have escaped from the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire. The, the corruption that's in the world through sinful desire, that is the sinful, choking spiritual environment that we all naturally started out in. Until Christ rescue you, that's where every human being starts out, and that's the sinful environment of our souls where they start out in corruption and sinful desire. And whether a person agrees with every, you know, part about God's righteousness, I think almost everyone would objectively look at the world around us and agree, yeah, it's corrupt and getting worse. (laughs) You could take your pick of what part of society you want, we could pick politics, because that's the really low-hanging fruit, but but pick any part you want, and we know it's, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. And that's the nature of corruption, corruption, it's worse and worse, it decays, it breaks down until it dissolves into ashes and dust and death. That's the nature of corruption. Okay. So we can look at and we see, yeah, the politicians, it seems more of them are corrupt and they're more corrupt and it's harder for us to know how corrupt because everything's so muddy. It's so hard to see and know the truth because the facts are, the reporting the facts seem to be clouded and muddied and corrupted. But all of this corruption is from sinful human desire. And what's sinful desire? Sinful desire is when you want something, you know, desire, and you, but you want it for a sinful reason. You want it to enrich yourself at others' expense or to, to empower yourself or to consume it on your own sinful, unhealthy appetites. So that's all the categories of sinful desire so sinful desire is the the heart source of the corruption of the sinful spiritual environment that's the world around us and i'm talking about sinful of the spiritual environment but we know there's a complete overlap between spiritual environment and what we do right because what comes out of your mind and your heart affects all your habits and your choices in the physical world of what you do there's a, so they're distinguished separate but they are Oh, they're distinguished, but they're inseparable. What you do, what you think, and your attitude, all these things overlap. Enough on that. Back to this, what God has done. To the knowledge of Him, direct contact with God, the change He makes in your life, He makes you a partaker of the divine nature. So that your natural spiritual environment now is God and His Holy Spirit, and He puts His Holy Spirit in you, and then He says He multiplies that in you, and so there's this dynamic now that you've been saved and transformed. You live this life as you turn more to God, and drink more of, of Him and His holiness and His righteousness and His ways. It's easier to say no. Corruption and sinful desires in the world, and as you say no to the sinful desires and the corruption that's in the world, you are freer to say yes to God and His ways. there's a pattern of increasing and growing, multiplying in peace and the grace and the goodness of God in your life. And He's the source of it all. He makes the change. Glory credit goes to Him. But there's also a pattern of maturing and growth in your life, a way of living that leads to his holy results that he supplies. That's what the series is going to specifically look at. We're going to look at what he asks you to seek out and pursue in addition to your faith that grows out of your faith in your life so that your life is fruitful and effective and that grace and peace is multiplying in your life. That's what, what we're going to be looking at in the weeks ahead. And I, I hope this word was a great encouragement to you of what God does and changes in us. Amen. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for what you do for us in your son, Jesus Christ, to change us and make us new, granting us your very great and precious promises. And I pray that... We each take this to heart and put our faith in Christ and look fully to him for all our needs every day. In Jesus' name, amen.